Well, we continue our study in the Gospel of Luke this morning, and we come this morning to Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 28. I'll be reading through verse 34. Peter said, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things, And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. Father, we gather this morning to hear your voice, and we hear your voice in your word. So, Father, we pray that the words which I speak would be an accurate reflection of the word that you have spoken through the Gospel of Luke. We pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and make us receptive to your truth this morning, that you might accomplish your good purposes in each and every one who is here here today. This, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There are times when even the strongest Christian wonders whether it's really worth it. Is it worth it to follow Jesus? We've been told that there is a cost to following Jesus. Jesus makes it very explicit that if we are going to follow him, we ought to count that cost. Sometimes it's so hard to follow Jesus that it's tempting to wonder whether it is worth all the trouble. Is it worth it to follow Jesus when doing the right thing makes you unpopular at school? Or when people who do not have the same moral scruples seem to be getting ahead of you in business for that very reason? Is it worth it to follow Jesus when it causes division in your family? Or when it seems like sinners are having all the fun? Or when what God wants for you is not the same thing that you want for you. Is Jesus worth it or not? People have been asking this question ever since the days of the first disciples. Early on, the Gospel of Luke tells us that Peter, James, and John left everything to follow Jesus. But later, these same men could not help but wonder whether they had made the right decision Peter raised this question after listening to what Jesus said 
to a man who wanted to know what he had to do to gain eternal life. This is the man we met last week. This man was very rich, very powerful. Jesus knew that his money was holding him back from the kingdom of God. So Jesus tells him, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come, to follow, uh, come and follow me. But the man refused to do this because to him, Jesus wasn't worth it. He prized what he owned too much to give it up for Jesus. Now Jesus was sad about this, but he wasn't surprised because he knew how hard it is for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. Humanly speaking, he says, it's impossible. It's as impossible as threading a camel through the eye of a needle. And the people who heard Jesus were so amazed by what he was saying that they asked, verse 26, then who can be saved? Jesus answered by saying, it's impossible for men, but nothing is impossible with God. With God, all things are impossible, even the salvation of the rich. which we ought to be very thankful for. Because given the standards of the world, most of us are rich. This caused the disciples to think about their own salvation. They had just heard Jesus tell a man that if he gave everything he had to the poor, he would gain treasure in heaven. And that sounded like a very wise investment. Giving on earth to gain in heaven... And although the disciples may not have given their money to the poor, they had left all their possessions behind to follow Jesus. So what kind of reward would Jesus have for them, they wanted to know. Speaking for the twelve, Peter says in verse 28, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. It seems that Peter wanted some reassurance. He was putting his discipleship forward as kind of the qualification for God's blessing. He was trying to make the case that he and the other disciples had done the very thing that this other man lacked. They had given up everything to follow Jesus. Here's what I've always found funny about this. I mean, think about the situation. What really did Peter give up? A bunch of smelly fish. Some nets that had to be mended every night. A boat that wasn't exactly a a yacht. With the possible exception of Matthew, the tax collector, none of the disciples had quite as much to give up as the rich man did. But whether it was a little or a lot, it was all the disciples had to give. And Peter wanted to make sure that Jesus understood that. But Peter wanted more than that. Peter and the other disciples, no doubt, wanted Jesus to know what they had done, but they wanted to know something too. They wanted to know whether it was worth it. 
And it's interesting, isn't it? That immediately after this discussion, Jesus takes the twelve aside and tells them about what awaits in Jerusalem. His crucifixion. Is it worth it? When your life is on the line. In Luke, that question, what's in it for us, it's only implied. But in Matthew's parallel account, we find that Peter didn't hold back. He was actually very explicit. In Matthew's account, he says this, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? What's in it for us? And we're not really surprised by the form of the question. We know that Peter is not the most tactful person in the world. But it's an understandable question. If we're going to divest ourselves of all that we have and give up everything for Jesus, we want to know what we're getting in return. You might remember that last week, as we discussed Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler, we made note of the fact that there are times when someone comes to Jesus with a statement or a a question, and Jesus pretty much ignores whatever the person says and just goes off on his own, talking about what he wants to talk about, talking about what he knows to be the real issue. We saw that in the conversation that he had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. In this case, we might have expected Jesus to tell his disciples not to think that they deserved anything in return for what they had done. But instead, Jesus does something that we might not have expected him to do. He gives them a wonderful promise of vast reward He says to them, verse 29, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. So you've got a promise of both present and future blessing. And that promise is not just for the twelve. It's for everyone who would come to faith in Christ through the twelve and then after down to our own day. It is for anyone who is willing to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. And there is a sense in which every believer must do this. A Christian is someone who has decided to have Jesus instead of anything and everything else that the world has to offer. The way the Bible tells us to come to Jesus is by repentance and faith, and to repent is to turn away from sin. So in repentance, we are leaving our sinful ways behind. And one of those sinful ways that we leave behind is valuing something else above Jesus. To have faith is to trust in Christ alone for salvation, leaving behind every other means of saving ourselves. So the only way to come to Jesus at all is to leave everything else behind. 
The great Scottish theologian Thomas Boston did this when he renewed his personal covenant with God near the end of his life and his ministry. Boston went to his own secret place for prayer and said this, O Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I confess from my heart that I am by nature a lost sinner. I am fully convinced that I am utterly unable to help myself. But as there is a covenant of grace, I do now again take hold of that covenant for life and salvation to me. Believing on the name of Christ crucified, who made atonement, paid the ransom, and brought everlasting righteousness for poor sinners. I resign myself, soul and body, to him to be saved by his blood alone. I give up myself wholly unto him to serve him forever. And then as he comes to the end of what he referred to as his personal covenant, he called on the very walls of his house to witness the promise that he was making to Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, let it be recorded in heaven, O Lord. And let the bed on which I lean, the timber and the stones and all other things here in my closet bear witness that I, though most unworthy, have this second day of December here taken hold of and come into thy covenant of grace, offered and exhibited to me in thy gospel for time and eternity. And that thou art my God in the covenant, and I am one of thy people from henceforth and forever. Now that is essentially what we all need to say unto God, though we would do it in much simpler terms. If we want to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, then we need to say to him, I am yours and you are mine. That's the prayer of every believer. Some Christians are called to go beyond that, however, and to make some more specific sacrifices. This is what Jesus is talking about in Luke 18. For the sake of the kingdom of God, Jesus calls some of his servants to leave their homes and their families behind. That's what he called the disciples to do. And this brings us back to the question that Peter had. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow Jesus if that means going to some far country and being separated from your family? Is it worth it being a missionary if it means taking your children far away from their grandparents? Is it worth it if you're the grandparent To watch your children take your grandchildren to some far off land. And to rejoice that they are serving Christ. What about all the other sacrifices that Jesus might demand? Is it worth giving up your dream house so that you can sacrificially support the kingdom of God? Is it worth risking your reputation to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ? People who make the decision to follow Jesus may sometimes have their doubts and even their regrets, but they will never, Jesus promises, they will never end up on the losing end 
Because Jesus has given us this guarantee. Anyone who leaves everything behind for the kingdom of God will receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. The promise is absolute. No one who gives something up for the kingdom of God will fail to receive God's blessing. What Jesus offers is a double blessing, a blessing for now and a blessing for later. Many people think of Christianity as a good long-term investment that may not do much for a person now. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is both the best short-term and long-term investment that anyone can ever make. In the short term, Jesus promises to give us more than we are possibly capable of giving up for him. You do realize, of course, you can't outgive God, right? God has a lot more than you have. And God is generous. If we're called to leave home or family for the kingdom of God, Jesus promises that he will give us many times as much. And this promise is true in a literal sense, because when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we become part of the family of God. God is our Father. Christ is our elder brother. And all the children of God are our brothers and sisters. In the church, therefore, we have all the family that we could ever need. Spiritual sons and daughters and fathers and mothers. The church is our first and everlasting family. And we should treat it that way all through life. You understand what that means. One of the things that it means is that when we neglect the fellowship of the body, we are spurning the gift of God. When we treat the church as a place to go once a week, instead of a family to know and to love and to share life with, we are treating God's gift as one treats a gift that they've given from another person that they then return to the store in exchange for something else. We're telling God we really don't think he's a very good gift giver. But the reality is we simply don't understand what a wonderful gift it is. And so we spurn it. We take it for granted. This is why so many in our day don't appreciate the importance of church membership. They're content to hang on to the fringes, never willing to commit, never desirous of being identified with Christ's people in a local congregation. Never understanding that in spurning the church, they're spurning the very gift of God. Yet when Jesus promised to give us many times more, he is talking about something more than simply our relationships in the family of God. He was also talking about giving us himself, which more than makes up for anything that we think we are missing in this life. J.C. Ryle said that many times more means this, The believer shall find in Christ a full equivalent for anything that he is obliged to give up for Christ's sake. He shall find such peace and hope and joy and comfort and rest in communion with the Father and the Son that his losses shall be more than counterbalanced by his gains. 
In short, the Lord Jesus Christ shall be more to him than property or relatives or friends. Even if we lose everything else in life or give it up because God has called us to make sacrifices for the gospel, we still have Jesus. And Jesus, put on one side of the scale, outweighs everything you could put on the other side. We always have Jesus. And he can never be taken away. When we don't have a home, Jesus is our refuge and our fortress, our shelter in time of storm. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is the pearl of great price, the treasure of our souls. Have you learned to trust in Jesus for everything that you need? Not to trust that he will give you what you need, but that he is what you need. Jesus really is worth it because when we have Jesus, we have many times more than whatever we give up to follow him. This past week, as I was studying in this passage and preparing to proclaim it this morning. It was, it's just been a glorious week. Come the fall, I've been asked to speak at a, a men's retreat. And the subject of the retreat is Christ, our greatest treasure. That's what we're talking about here. Right? I was just so grateful to God for starting off my preparation for those talks that I'm giving in October. Christ is our greatest treasure. Nothing can compare. Take everything that this world has to offer, and it does not compare to Jesus Christ. He is with us to the end, and then after that, he will receive us to glory. This is the second part of that double promise that Jesus made, eternal life. In the age to come, Anyone who is willing to give up what this world has to offer for the sake of the kingdom will receive eternal life. This is not because our sacrifices merit anything. They don't. But when by the grace of God we leave everything else behind to follow Jesus, we get Jesus now and later. Jesus forever. Eternal life means, of course... Life in endless duration. God has promised that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will live with him forever. This, this is essential to the perfection of heaven. Even the best experiences in life are diminished by the knowledge that soon they will come to an end. We realize that the party is ending. We go on vacation, and before you know it, we've got to pack up because we've got to get home. Vacation can only last so long. We're raising children, and eventually they need to leave home. Every blessing of this world, even good things, have an end point. But we will never have that 
feeling in heaven. Because eternal life with Jesus Christ lasts forever. And what a life it will be. It is not just the length of eternal life that makes it so precious, but also the kind of life that it is. Eternal life is a free life. We are no longer in bondage to anything. It's a life free from sin. Our sin and the sin of others. It is free from pain, whether physical or emotional. It is free from sadness. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes. It's a full life as well. A life full of worship. Music more glorious than we can imagine. New bodies that are raised like unto Christ's glorious body. No pain, no sickness, no death, no new parts, no glasses. It is going to be glorious. A life full of God lived in the very presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What blessings wait for us in the kingdom of God. Jesus is worth it now, but he will be even more worth it later. When we pass beyond the darkening sky of this fallen world and see the glorious dawn of that new eternal day. That's what waits for us. And so far we've been looking at things from our perspective, asking whether Jesus is worth it for us. But what Jesus says at the end of this passage compels us to ask a more fundamental question. Are we worth it for Jesus? And the question arises because the blessings that Jesus has for us can only come at great cost to him. The cost of his own blood. Verse 31 says, then he took the twelve aside. Some truths at this point were just for the disciples. Other people would not have had a clue. Even the disciples didn't really understand it. But Jesus takes them aside and he says to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. Now, this is the fourth time that Jesus has prophesied concerning his suffering and death. His impending death was never far from his mind. And here in chapter 18, when Jesus says, we are going up to Jerusalem, his use of the present tense conveys an urgency This is not far off. The crucifixion is close at hand, and the closer Jesus draws to the cross, the more clearly he prophesies about what's going to happen. 
And in this prophecy, Jesus, for the first time, says that he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. So that the entire human race is going to be complicit in his death. Jew and Gentile. All in the plan of God. He speaks of being mocked and beaten and abused. Things he has not explicitly mentioned prior to this. Now notice the way Jesus introduced the subject of his sufferings. And notice his absolute confidence that what the scripture says about him must come true. He took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which were written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. So he's going back to the Old Testament, and he's saying... Very briefly here, what he will say more fully later after his resurrection. That he is everywhere in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets spoke of him. And what did they say about him? As Jesus looked to the scriptures, as he looked, in other words, to his own word, As he read the words of men like David and Isaiah, he saw that the Son of Man would be forsaken of God, mocked by his enemies, tormented by thirst, pierced through his hands and feet, despised and rejected of men, wounded for transgressions, crushed for iniquities, until finally he is poured out unto death. Go back and you read Psalm 22 and you read Isaiah 53 and you have perfect pictures of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And it was not just that Jesus had to die, but he had to die in this way with the cruel sufferings of a body that was abused before it was crucified and a soul that was forsaken by God his Father. Jesus knew in advance that this is what waited for him at the end of this journey to Jerusalem. And so he added his own prophecy to the words of the ancient prophecies. And he said he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. The mention of rising on the third day shows that Jesus also knew not only about his imminent death, but about his resurrection as well. Even before he died on the cross, he knew the whole thing. He knew what God had planned from eternity past. He knew the whole gospel, which always includes the resurrection. Jesus knew that his death would not be the end, but that the spirit of the Father would bring him back to life. And even so, on this journey to Jerusalem, Jesus had to ask, is it Worth it? Was it worth it to be the suffering Savior, to put up with all of the hardships of living a perfect, sinless life among fallen, sinful men? Was it worth it to endure the agony of Gethsemane, where he sweated his tears in blood, and then to, to die the painful and shameful death of the cross? Was it worth it to be so separated from the Father that he would cry out in anguish? Oh God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Was it worth it to suffer all these things for people like us? For sinners? Was it worth it to die for people like us whose sins nailed him to the cross and who sometimes wonder whether Jesus is worth it for us? As if that were really the question. With every step he took toward Jerusalem, Jesus was saying, yes, it is worth it. It's worth it to keep the whole law for my people and to die for their sins, even if that will require the most excruciating suffering. It was worth it for Jesus when he was alone in the garden, when he was betrayed, when he was accused, when he stood trial, when he was beaten, when he was nailed to the cross, and when he gave up his soul unto death. Jesus says it's worth it. We know that it was worth it because Jesus did it. And the scripture tells us why he did it. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, For the joy that was set before him he endured the cross, despising the shame. That's just another way of saying Jesus thought we were worth it. Because the joy that was set before him was the redemption of his people. That brought him joy, and that joy was worth every bit of his suffering. In his great love and amazing grace, Jesus wanted that joy of giving himself to us and then bringing us with him into eternal life. We were worth it to him because he wanted to be worth it to us. The disciples didn't understand any of this. Surprise! They never understood. Jesus repeated himself again and again and again and again. And they didn't even understand it when it happened. They didn't understand what the cross was all about. And they were amazed when the tomb was empty. Even though Jesus told them about it. When he spoke to them about their suffering and death and resurrection, verse 34 says they understood none of these things. And then it was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. It's not just that the disciples were stupid. It was hidden from them. Jesus spoke. He revealed it to them. But for some reason, it was hidden from them. He said he was going to die and rise again. But the disciples weren't yet ready to understand a suffering and bleeding Savior. How could they? Until they saw Jesus betrayed with a kiss and nailed to the cross. How could they understand his ultimate triumph until they looked into that empty tomb and saw Jesus in his glorious resurrection body? The disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying, but Jesus said it anyway so that they would understand when the right time came. He also said it so that you and I would understand 2,000 years later. Do you understand what Jesus did in dying on the cross and rising on the third day? Do you understand as well that he is offering you eternal life in himself? If you do understand this, then you know that Jesus is worth it. Absolutely worth it right now and forever. Whatever God is calling you to give up for his 
kingdom, do not hesitate. Even for a moment, Jesus will more than make up for what you lose. But never forget that Jesus is worth it to us only because we were worth it to him. We love because what? He first loved us. We were worth it to him when he suffered, when he died, and when he rose again. And if we were worth it to Jesus, Jesus promises that he will make everything he calls us to be and to do worth it now and in eternity. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Father, we are so grateful. Father, help us to understand that no matter what the cost may be, if we properly count the cost, if we understand what that cost is in the light of what you have promised to us, then there is really no cost at all. So thank you, Father, for Jesus. Make him everything to us. May we see him for who he is. And may we live our lives in this life now with a constant longing to be with him in the next. This we ask in his name. Amen.